Steve, how are you? Hey, Mike, how you doing, man? Hi, I'm Steve Joel, and welcome to another episode in my podcast series in which we really get to know the people who've had the most influence over our hobby. It's, uh, it's great that you're able to make time. Thanks for doing that. I appreciate it. I feel like uh, we should have come across each other in the past. We have uh, many mutual acquaintances. You know, it, it's striking me the same way, especially when I was looking at that Facebook connection, but it's good to come into contact with each other now. This is the final episode of the first season of the podcast, and we've saved one of the most influential people in the game for last. We'll even get to ask questions about how it's going with the development of the official 40K app. Yeah. Uh, Steve, tell me about yourself and how you end up um, coming into contact with the podcast that you're running. Well, give, give me the summary of you. I'll give you the lowdown on me and then I'll ask all the questions the other way around of you. So. By the way, if you've enjoyed this series so far, you can get every episode at 40kgamechangers.com and follow us on Facebook for information about Season 2, which will kick off in a few weeks. Um, nice. Yeah, so the whole point is to, to really speak and get to know uh, the backstories of people who've, you know, who've had a big influence on the game and the way the game is played or the way the game is developed or the way we paint or the way we consume and create content, anything connected to 40k, really. Nice. Which is where you come in. 40K Game Changers is supported by the Frontline Gaming Network. And how exciting is this? Tickets are on sale now for the Lone Star Open. The event is in July at the brand new Waters Creek Convention Centre. Tickets for the 40K Champs at the Atlantic City Open sold out in just over a week. And you know what? I'd hate for you to miss out on this one. The Lone Star Open. Go to Frontline Gaming and get your tickets now. So now my turn, I get to ask you some questions, but I'm going to uh, do a proper introduction first, if that's okay. Of course it is. My guest today was the founder and, until recently, the CEO of the Nova Open, one of the biggest gaming events in the known universe. In 2019, more than 3,000 people converged on the Hyatt Regency in Arlington, Virginia. Mike has been a member of the USA ETC team, a winner of the 2018 London GT. He's a playtester and the global events guru for Games Workshop, as well as working on the app. Uh, let's talk to Mike Brandt. Thanks for being with us. It's good to be on the show, Steve. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. I want to um, let you know, first of all, that I talked to Nick Nanavati a few weeks ago on this program, and I asked oh, him, Nick. <laughs> our, our mutual friend Nick, I said to him, who's the best player you've ever come up against? And he said you, which is <laughs> which is pretty big c considering the players that he's come up against. How does that well, feel? It's nice of him to say. I think part of it is just Nick and I have actually played quite a few times, uh, but all of them have been exhibition games. We've never actually come up against each other in a tournament. Right. Um, and but since my focus is on, like, Games Workshop events now, as opposed to you know playing in a bunch of tournaments personally, that may never happen. But we've played a lot of one-on-ones, and it just seems to always like a dice roll here and there swoops my way. Right, so, he's never beaten you. Is that true? <laughs> it is true. Oh, wow. um, but it's been close every time. <laughs> yeah, but still, it's Nick Nanavati, and he's never beaten you, so that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> we should start with your playing career. I, I mentioned that you were in the USA ETC team. 
How was that being part of the, you know, Team America and going away to represent your nation? Uh, it was really exciting. Um, I, it was interesting too when I first started uh, doing events and playing at events. I actually had a mixed view of the ETC experience um, because I, some of the philosophies of how they run a tournament are a bit different than how I perceive the purpose of those to be. Right. But then when you know, anyone wants to represent their country in their hobby or their sport of choice, so when they asked if I'd like to play on the team. I was humbled and floored, and I moved heaven and earth to be able to attend. And I will say the thing that stood out to me the most about it was when, I think it was the Saturday night of after, after that Saturday's, you know, competition, where every member of all the different teams were out together in a city center of Novi Sad in Serbia, and we were, you know, it felt like a thousand. Um, People with shared interests and hobbies, you know, a thousand people from the Warhammer community from all over the world, like all together, and there were no more than eight from any one country, and it was very, I was very cool. It was one of the more memorable, like especially that moment of my hobby career. So it was, it was pretty neat. It was also, you know, cool of Sean to give an old timer like me a chance <laughs> to play a little bit. So <laughs> it yeah. was fun. I don't feel that. In New Zealand, it's different, and I know that in, in some other countries, you take whoever can afford to go. I don't think that's the American philosophy, is it? You take the best players you can find who can get there. So um, Sean also really wants it to be, to his credit, a, a reflection of the quality of the U.S. community. So good players, but also good people, you know, good hobbyists, all that. Right, uh, which, which kind of marries in with your way of, your way of thinking, too. Is that fair to say? Like... Uh, it's not it just about winning, it's about good people, you know, having a good time together. Yeah, the the Warhammer community has given me a lot in my life. Obviously, the Nova Open and the ability to do great things for charity were really, you know, fundamental to my existence within the hobby. But, hell, my job now um, is the direct result of being part of that community. And I think there's a lot of really, really good people who are really good competitors. Uh, Sean, Nick, uh, I could name drop dozens. Um, but I think that there's there's a kernel in there that it's the connection between different people. It's the you know passionate interest in the hobby and the people who participate in it. It's the you know fun and friendly but really like exciting competition. It's kind of a whole big picture. But I think if you haven't been part of that community and those you know, sort of events that you go to all over the world, you, you might not know that. You might your experience at the local game store or tournament might be different than what that experience is, and so. Being a part of that community for the years has been about a lot more than just do you win or lose your games. I think it's something that's important because it's fundamental to the way that, you know, I think even Games Workshop looks at the hobby. It's not about just how you paint. It's not about just how you play. It's about, like, the connections and the ways and means in which your life is actually bettered by participating in this pretty cool hobby. I love that in the uh, G-Dub and the rule book, and it, I think this has been the case for a while now, but right there, rule number one is have fun. <laughs> you know, this is this is yeah. a hobby. It's a, it's a game. You, we're supposed to have fun with this, right? You, you nailed it on the head. I mean, it, people forget that sometimes too, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I, I tell you, the best players out there, there, I don't think there are any of them that take it too seriously. Well, I, 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 we definitely are going to talk about the Nova Open, which you've mentioned, but I... Uh, just want to stay for one more second with your playing career. What are, what are, what is the highlight for you? We've mentioned playing for the states, playing in Europe, representing your country. Is that it, or are there other things you can think of that that really oh, were high uh, moments for you? 
I don't know. It, I've always, as a player, um, I've never cared. It's going to sound weird. I've never cared if I win the game. Um, I care whether or not I play like the best game I can, right? And that includes above the table and on the table. Yeah. Um, and many, many years ago, many moons ago, uh, in 2010 and 2011, I played in a couple of Battle for Salvation GTs. Uh, right when that long-standing event was getting started, and the first one I played, I remember, I had never really played in a proper GT before. I had run a Nova, and I played in like a three-round big Adepticon event. But um, the Battle for Salvation had, you know, knockout rounds on the second day. You know, kind of like what you see at most of the big events like LBO and stuff today. Um, and I felt like I played that event as a fundamentally good human being who made friends with all of my opponents, and I felt like I played really well in all of my games with a slightly different or weird list. Um, so, of all the, if I had to pick like a highlight, it would be that just because like I ticked all the boxes, I had a nicely painted army, I made friends with everyone I played. I think I'm friends with every single human being I played in that tournament to this day. Wow. And I, uh, I, I mean, it was cool to win too. So it was, sure. it was a good overall experience. So now, what you just mentioned, am, am I right in thinking that you were organizing big tournaments before you'd actually played in a big tournament? Uh, so I went to Adeptic. I, I played in local tournaments, and yeah. then I hosted, uh, in 2009, I hosted a 32-person a picnic table tournament for charity. Um, and in 2010, I attended Adepticon, and I played in their weekend GT, but it was three rounds one day. So compared to the GTs of today, although there were a lot of players in it, it was a very different animal. And then that year I hosted, in August, the first big Nova Open. And then a couple months later, I went to the Battle for Salvation, which was actually a Nova Open modeled tournament. And, and that was my first like real multi, you know, many-round GT right. um, that I had played in. Um, so it was kind of like... <laughs> You don't want to make a big deal about it. You're like, yeah, I haven't really done a whole lot of these myself. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Do you think you need to be a good player to be a good TO? No. Um, I think your if your attitude your attitude needs to be that you want to do everything the right way. Um, you don't want to make any mistakes and and having an, having everything's fine, no big deal. That's not the right attitude. I think that tends to translate to being a really good player um, because if you're approaching your game from the perspective of not I want to beat someone or take from them. Instead, if you approach it, I want to do everything as perfectly as I can um, and be respectful and make a friend with my opponent, which includes making friends, I think. Like, if I play a game and it's been antagonistic, I failed, in my mind, um, right. whether I win or lose. And so I think, as a TO, you need to have those traits. You need to always be thinking, how can I do better? What are the things I didn't do as well as I should have done? Um, because I think if you just do that and if you care a lot about the people that you're around... Uh, you may sometimes come off a little too serious, I suspect, but not, you know, as long as you're affable, you'll come off as a good TO because you'll put on, you know, your event will be good, people will remember it, they'll know you cared a lot about everyone who was there and not about who won or lost or just getting through the day or collecting, you know, some registration fees. Instead, you cared about the best time possible. And then the next time they come to your event, they'll come with a high expectation and you'll do better. Yeah, um, yeah. So that... That's, I think, key. It can make a good player, but I don't think you have, like, some of the best TOs out there don't even play in events much. It's interesting, actually. I hadn't, I don't, I've never heard it put that way, but it's such a great way of thinking about it that rather than thinking what can I take, as in taking a victory or taking the points, if you're thinking how can I contribute to the experience of the game, how can I give? Because I think you're right. You don't, you don't remember necessarily, 
whole games, but you remember amazing moments or the people you've met or the aftermatch yes. or all of that's what yes. you remember about a tournament, right? You do, and uh, close games are also fun. Um, so oh, yeah. Th- there's there's a part of me that, like I, I played a game this weekend with my long, long time buddy, Tony Kopak, who's himself been on the, the scene for years, played the Team America when they won the whole works. He and I have been close friends for over 15 years. We play together multiple times a week. He's a fellow play tester. Um, Tony and I had a game, and I lost 67 to 64. I think. Wow. Um, and the only the only two things that came out of it were like, that was awesome, because both of us played really, really well. Um, and we had a good time, right? We enjoyed the social experience of it. Uh, good friends who played forever and still have really close games every time. We have very same play style, so you know it tends to be very similar games. Um, and I, I think the important thing was I didn't look back on the game and be like, "Oh man, I screwed up a bunch of stuff," or uh, "He got away with something he shouldn't," or "The dice were crazy." I hate all those types of outcomes. I want the game to be close. I want everybody to get the dice rolls that they should get, and I want the best player to win rather than to personally win. Yeah, um, it's nice if it works out that you win, but I think. There's something about competing that should be more about doing your best than about beating people. And I think there's a nuance there that a lot of players miss, and I wish they would focus more on. Let's talk about the Nova Open then, which we touched on already a couple of times. But it started with it was a it was a small it was a little like a barbecue or a, what did you call it a picnic table event? Yeah. And, and before then, it was even the Nova Open, yeah, it was just a 32 guys playing playing warm picnic tables. I grilled this some hot dogs. <laughs> Uh, we prayed for no rain and got lucky. I suppose if it had rained, we wouldn't be talking here today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. It was a balmy August in Virginia. It was. Uh, I, I remember it fondly to this day. I had a buddy who was a Coca-Cola repairman, and he uh, he managed to bring a big old big old one of those big like trash can Coca-Cola ice you know coolers that you know have the clear lid with all the cans in them, and so people had soda pop. Uh, and we, you know, it was it was. It's weird to think back that that's how this crazy journey began. So when when that was done, you you guys uh, the, the, obviously the following year it was a much bigger, much uh, different kind of event. And what, do you think that was because people were like, "Wow, that was amazing. We want we wanted more people wanted to come," or did you sit down and go, "Okay, next year if we do this again, we're going to change it up"? How did that dynamic work? There were three ingredients. Uh, very clear to remember them. The first was we were like, we should do that again. That was great. We raised some money for charity. My mother's a breast cancer uh, survivor, so that's always been really important to me. So we wanted to do it again. It was fun. Yeah. It wasn't that, it wasn't that difficult. Little did I know what I was starting to sign myself <laughs> up. For. Um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that difficult the first time. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Games Workshop actually instituted a cool uh, thing back then, which was a little. Um, you know, nascent. It didn't last very long at the time, but they offered prize support to tournaments uh, anywhere in the U.S. Basically, based upon their size. Um, and so we were like, "Well, cool. We can we sign up for that program." And that got us uh, some attention from Games Workshop, which was nice, and it got us, um, you know, an amount of prize support, which we were on quite a tight budget. And prize support meant we had to buy things so we could um, focus the money on charity. And then. Um, the other thing was I I, became, I started to join the scene, right? I attended it up to Con. I went 3-0 in that tournament. Um, got to know a bunch of people, I mean, everyone from like Thomas Reed, Goat Boy, right, all the way through. The Adepticon organizers, you know, all-stars like Hank Edley and co. Um, and so I started to kind of feel myself into the scene and I blogged a little bit and, you know, got to know other bloggers and talk, started talking about the Nova Open that we were going to run and we came up with the proper name for it and 
we had to get a bigger venue. We went indoors, um, and Adepticon kind of inspired me. Uh, you know, you went there, and it was just cool and big and exciting, and you know, there's so much energy and enthusiasm. And so it really kind of got my creative juices flowing and my desire to contribute to the community as well going. And then uh, just a bunch of people signed up. So, so like, like, I don't know if we thought it would get bigger, um, but then we had like 90 people show, which at the time was the second or third largest GT in the country. To tell you about how far we've come um, <laughs> as a yeah. as a community, um, but the uh, yeah it was really and I went to the went to the games day that day. it was the last Baltimore games day we've had to date I think um, I had to meet some of the games workshop guys which was cool I mean I was buzzing I was in my twenties early twenties well mid twenties and you know this, my eyes were wide and I was excited and I was full of full of vinegar and you know full of enthusiasm so. It just kind of, you know, there was a lot of infectious energy, and people came in and had a great time, and and it was every year it's the same thing. It was always, let's let's make it better. Were there ever years where you thought this is this is too, okay, too much now? It's too big. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, I think just about when I left to join Games Workshop, um, <laughs> <Right>. where <laughs> both Nova and Games Workshop would have been too much. So I, I thought I can use all this energy to help the global community in the same way that I've done with Nova alone. Um, but until then, it was always, yeah, he, he, the, the pattern of running a big event for the organizer goes something like this. Uh, it's two weeks before the event, or you think, let's do the event. You come up with the ideas and the new things you're going to do that year. It's really exciting, super exciting. You, you're, you can't wait. You open up registration. Everybody signs up. You know, this big rush at, at first. Then, then that's, that's the big first wave of joy and energy. Then you don't quite sell out everything, so you need people to still sign up, and you start worrying, and you don't have people haven't signed up for their hotel rooms yet, and you're worrying a little more. And then, <laughs> so then you got to do all the work to get everything organized and together and ordered and and structured and planned, and all the details got to be figured out. And these stresses start to build between you and all the other folks because you're all volunteers, and then. You get to like two weeks before the event, you're like, we're not ready. Oh, this is going to be, why did I choose to do this? What are we thinking? And you got 4,000 people sign up eventually, you know, in 2019, and you go, jeez, what are we, let's never, <laughs> should we ever do this again? And then <laughs> you finish, and you're moving in in the first couple of days, and you're unloading, and you're carrying stuff everywhere, and it's crazy, and there's, you know, a million things going wrong, and, and everybody's exhausted because there's not even any attendees yet. And then the first attendees show up, in the case of Nova on the Wednesday, at noon, and they're lined up, and they are the most excited, happiest people you've ever met. Yeah. They've spent their whole year getting ready with energy and enthusiasm for the same thing that you spent all this work to get ready for. And they've also they're they're all tired too because they spent the week beforehand painting their armies or like you know doing whatever the yeah. thing they had to do. Or and all of a sudden the energy starts to shift, and then by the end of the weekend, you are beyond exhausted. You never thought you could be that exhausted in your life, but you can't like. All you can talk about with your fellow staff is the things you're going to do next year that you've thought about during the weekend that you can do even cooler and better and bigger. And then you spend a month getting feedback on surveys, and it's almost always super positive, and you're like, oh, this is going to be, this next year is going to be so good. And, <laughs> yeah. and it begins again. Um, wow. So it's a, a consistent pattern, and it's, it's a really interesting. It keeps life very dynamic and very interesting. It's funny um, that it's it's such a similar on a much smaller smaller micro scale. My experience of actually going to an event, um, mm-hmm. just because you 
you you do you have these waves of like different experience on the way through the whole process, and one of them is as you've mentioned. My very first tournament was was with a buddy of mine, Aaron, and we now go to tournaments all the time and play together, you know, practice games. But our very first tournament was together, and there was so much of all of that that you were talking about, the excitement and then the concern, I'm not going to have my army ready, and then you do, and you've got to stay up all night and paint, and you're tired, and you get there, and you're exhausted. Before it even begins, you're tired. And then you get there, and you see everybody else, and you're like, holy crap, this is amazing, and the energy in the room lifts you. And then it's just two days of six games and it's Warhammer out the wazoo and it's just all you can look at and think about. And you, and in my case, you know, you lose a couple and then, and, and then on the way home, what I thought would happen is on the way home from the tournament after six games, I'd be like, man, I never want to see Warhammer ever again. But on the way home, Aaron and I were driving back thinking, man, that was, how can we get ready for the next one? <laughs> what do we have to do to get ready for the next one? When is it? It's just, mm-hmm. it's an amazing journey to go on. Again, I, I don't know how else, I, I, I wish more people, I hope more people will continue to engage as part of the community of Warhammer players because a lot of what you just articulated, the, the, the root of it comes from the, the fact that almost every, especially traveling Warhammer player, is just a really awesome person. Right. Um, so you're joining a community of really engaging, engaged, affable, sociable you know, I, I hate to say the word like normal, but like very, uh, like you, you would never find yourself at the end of the day with this group, with this community as part of your uh, social circle, and think, uh, well, I wouldn't want to introduce these people to my to my wife or my kids and my family or right. or whatever. In fact, I met my wife through Warhammer. <laughs> really? Um, thanks to you, an attendee at Nova one year, uh, volunteered after attending. Uh, he became one of my closest friends. Uh, he invited me to a Halloween party one year. Uh, I showed up at the party dressed as a as a gunslinging cowboy, and within 30 seconds, a girl dressed as an East Coast college chick came up to me and asked <laughs> if I'd like to play a party game with her. And uh, and the rest is history. <laughs> many many years later, I am the luckiest man alive for having had a had a person show up at Nova and be inspired. Wow. We, we uh, last week on our radio show here in New Zealand ran a feature called One Thing Led to Another, and it was those stories of how did you guys meet? And every single story has a part in it where people go, and one thing led to another. And uh, yep. that's a great example. Listen, let's talk about uh, what you do for G-Dub now then. What's, what's the job? What do you do? And, and how does that tie into your experience with events? Well, there are two big uh, elements to my job. Uh, the first part of my job and the reason that I came to the company is to run global events. Um, and global events is, is as all-encompassing as it refers to. I don't take care of anything that happens on the moon or Mars, but everything that happens on planet Earth is under my responsibility as far as the events side of Games Workshop goes, and that can be uh, events that we put on ourselves. Uh, Warhammer Fest is an easy example, low-hanging fruit there. Um, it could be events that we put on at other conventions. So if we were to run something at Gen Con, for instance, that would be under the auspices of what I'm responsible for. That also includes... All the booths and all the attending of those events proper, uh, all the preview seminars and things that we do at places like LVO Nova and Adepticon. Uh, it includes Warhammer World events. So the whole, the word event is pretty all-encompassing. It also includes things like organized play um, and any kind of organized gaming stuff that the company may do going forward. Um, and so that's one big part. That's the reason I really I left my career to join the company. But my career for the past 15 years, was in U.S. government contracting. 
uh, worked for companies like Lockheed, Lidos, and others, and did a lot of work running uh, technology organizations, um, solutions design, and BD, and capture, and everything in between. Um, and so Games Workshop's digital and community organization, which is where I reside, under Andy Smiley, they they do. They're also responsible for all the customer-facing technologies, the apps, the the web store, all that kind of stuff. And um, I help shepherd and manage that organization as well. Um, I don't want to take too much credit for some of the good things they do because it's really a, a more of a you know manager level. But um, that's that's also with my thing. So I manage all the tech stuff, and then I manage all the event stuff, which I'm glad I have the tech stuff because yeah. we're, we're not quite at the events yet, yeah, but yeah. we're getting there. You picked a good time to get it to running events for GW. Um, Indeed. Yeah. Lots of time to plan. Lots of time to plan. Yeah. And even with the, I feel like with the tech stuff, it's been a challenging uh, time for, for customer-facing stuff just because because of, out of control, out of your control, international pandemic-related stuff, you know, things like having to shut down production or slow production or shipping issues or uh, are you involved in any of the um, parts of the organization that have to field questions about all of that stuff? I am not. Um, the, there's a, we have a whole customer service organization that's phenomenally well run, you know, and they take care of a lot of that direct customer facing question. Of course, I support them when they have things that relate to the tech that falls under my purview. Um, and then in terms of the warehousing and, and logistics, that's all really challenging, and I just have to give credit to the yeah. to the guys who do run that across Games Workshop. They really are, you know, sort of. Uh, fighting against the tide and doing everything they can to make sure that customers get taken care of, trade accounts, et cetera, are all being looked after. Um, but the uh, the big part that I have in all that is obviously running the teams that are building the tech that um, that delivers those services hmm. on the customer-facing end, specifically the website itself and the microsites, Warcom, that kind of stuff, and also um, the apps. So the apps are a fascinating journey. Um, yeah. Keep getting, keep getting better, which is a good thing. And uh, also things like my Warhammer. Um, so that was a pretty exciting thing a few weeks ago when everybody's accounts got linked and there were, by and large, no challenges or issues for the most part. Um, so there's all that kind of stuff that falls under the, the org that, that does all the customer-facing tech stuff. It's, um, it's, I've got to say, it's nice to, you know, I had to, I dove, I've done the linking, I've got the app, I've done the linking. I even, when I went into the store recently and ordered some HiveGuard, uh, which will be delivered, uh, you know, you can now, when you're ordering in-store, it links to your My Warhammer if you log in. So everything is kind of interconnected now. We, can mm-hmm. I ask, where is the app at, at time of recording, which will hopefully, by, by the time this uh, goes out, will only be a couple of weeks. So where, where are we at with the app and, and the progress on that? Well, so the app has come a long way, right? Uh, it had an interesting launch last year. Um, it had some some highs and lows, some ups and downs. Um, and I'm sure there are some things that we, we learned some great lessons on when we do new apps in the future. Uh, we went through the beta period for Battleforge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we got our costing just about right for folks as well now. Um, and many, i got to give the app team a lot of credit for the work they've done to sort of enhance their skills, improve the quality of the app, improve the responsiveness to things like bug identification and fixing. You know, 40K is a really complex game and not all software engineers have expertise in the nuances of a game that's really written for the for the for the page rather than for the zeros and ones. And so, the team has done a lot of work to 
bring it forward. I think it's in a really good place now. I mean, the ratings reflect that. They've shot up uh, pretty pretty considerably from where they were. Um, but there's also still a long way to go in terms of, I think, you know, the UI and the UX gets a lot of credit for being uh, really good compared to some of the things that folks are familiar with. But I think it can come a long way further, and it will. Um, there's other features on the way that we need to add that are really exciting looking and that we're working on, like supporting Crusade. So it's not just you know, uh, match play army building, but it also covers narrative and crusade right. related stuff. So that's that's a work in progress that should be really nice when it comes out. And then it's just, I think, polishing off the rough edges that still, you know, may exist in places in the app. Some people have a perfectly smooth experience from start to finish building an army now. Uh, some people still run into hiccups here or there. You know, a unit doesn't have quite the right information on it or you know, something that's niggling. And so we we are working sort of day and night to to polish off every last little uh, rough edge anywhere yeah. in the app, um, but I would say it's it's fit for use now, which is I think you know, it sounds like a weird thing to say. Of course, it should be fit for use, but I'm proud of the team that we've gotten to the point that the app is good, the app is exciting, um, it's easy to use for most folks, and it's getting better every day. Yeah, and it, and it it looks so good. I mean, it look, yeah. and, which is a, a funny thing to say, but people have an expectation now, right, that there will be a level of smoothness about say the transitions from one screen to another there'll be uh the speed of upload all of all of these things that we kind of we take for granted but that are so hard to do in the background and and as you say even things like you know this unit has this weapon or that weapon or there are some really specific things across a massive number of different units over all a whole lot of different armies so the work that goes on in the background must just be an unbelievable Level. Well, it's a huge amount of work. There's also, an, you know, the Army Builder was not built just for veteran list builders. Um, and so there are some, you know, interactions that I think you take for granted if you really know how to build a list already and you, you, you've used other, like, third-party software in the past where the, the way the UI and the UX flow works isn't actually very good unless you already know what you're looking to do. So when we built uh, the Battleforge, the fo I, I say we, you know, the, <clears throat> the architecture that happened in part before I ever join the company and the folks who architected it had some really good thoughts about look if you're joining the Warhammer hobby you're gonna download the app because that's what people do these days your journey through it to build an army should be intuitive it shouldn't be I don't know how to build an army so I don't know what to do yeah. um, and so a lot of the interactions in terms of like replacing war gear and other things had to actually much more complex to develop around than they might be if you made a less intuitive uh, architecture um, and so there's the marrying up of accuracy, effectiveness, ease of use, correction, um, with a flow that is catering to both for you know beginners and veteran folks was a real interesting challenge that they've just about overcome now. Um, and we should overcome those sorts of challenges on future apps uh, all the faster for the lessons learned. Yeah. Well, uh, my own experience with it, which is, to be fair, strictly with two armies, so I and, you know, researched one person's anecdotes don't count as any type of research. But my own experience with it has been, has been positive. I love the way it looks. It's very easy to use. It moves quickly. You know, it's easy enough to, to find your way around changing war gear and all of that sort of thing. And and it all links up. So, you know, for me, it works. That's really good to hear. That's really good to hear. Um, the, uh, the, the cool thing in the future, too, is there's a you, you can kind of see the beginnings of a whole exciting ecosystem. Um, emerging within my Warhammer, you know, all your accounts are linked. There's cool apps coming out. Um, I think it's only the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Uh, and I don't. I, I. I am not one 
authorized nor desiring to spoil anything, but there's some really exciting stuff coming in the future that I think from sitting in on the meetings and listening to the planning, the people who are spearheading it, their focus is make Warhammer really, really exciting and cool for everyone. Um, that seems to be the key driver. And so I'm really excited to see all that stuff develop and emerge and get revealed and, and how people engage with it as, it as it matures as a digital ecosystem for you to sort of link up to your analog hobby. So listen, the, before we leave you, there are, the third part of the ever-expanding job description for Mike Brandt is uh, as a play tester. Like I think this may be the first <laughs> way I saw your name was you're a play tester. What does that mean? What, are, what does a play tester do? Years ago, Games Workshop reached out to some of us who run some of the big events, or ran some of the big events all over the country and the world, and brought us together. And it was a brilliant move, frankly. The digital and community team kind of was a big part of that, along with the rule studio under Pete Foley. And it did a couple things. It brought the community together. I think there were a lot of big event organizers that didn't really talk to each other much. All of a sudden, they were all best friends meeting every Sunday to talk about feedback um, into the wee hours, depending upon your time zone. But uh, they basically started getting us engaged as playtesters for 40K at the time. Mm. And uh, the group expanded and continues to expand. Um, and there's various levels of it. There are some that uh, the groups I'm involved in are folk. I'm still a playtester. I do it for free when I have time. Um, you know, I'm part of the DC group. And there's some groups that focus on a lot of the core rules, feedback, um, you know, like the words when they first come out. And there's some groups mm. that focus on you know, when the codexes are near completion, trying to break, uh, you know, the armies to see, you know, where, where in the process is something getting missed so that when you add this unit plus that unit plus this unit in the list, all of a sudden it gets too good. Um, and it's constantly evolving in a really cool process. Uh, it is um, challenging because you, you can never playtest everything. There's always a lot of interesting things to playtest, but it's, uh, it's cool. Um, it's also been really, it was, I think, the start of my um, increasing passion for working directly for Games Workshop. Mm. Um, in that being able to uh, help positively impact um, sort of that, that dream factory that Games Workshop can be for its community uh, was really cool. Um, and, I mean, I'd like to pretend I have as much time for it now as I did <laughs> then. I don't, but uh, I do stay as closely engaged with it and feedback as much as I can. Uh, as part of the DC area team, you uh, you've mentioned the the Games Workshop community team uh, a couple of times, and I would just I would pass on to you as someone who's heavily involved in that that my first experience with Games Workshop community was was writing a letter. I wrote a very heartfelt letter to uh, Nick Bainton, who was at the time part of that team, and yep. he he responded. And uh, we kept communicating, and then when I was at Warhammer World, he invited me in and, and sourced an army for me, and we were able to play a game in the hall at Warhammer World. I played against Nick. He had his Ultramarines, and I had Space Wolves that Simon Grant donated to me to play for a couple of hours. Uh, and so I have to tell you that I'm, I'm probably very biased, but my experience with the Warhammer community team uh, on a personal level, has been extraordinarily positive. They're an amazing group, and the, the level at which they offer feedback and responses on Facebook and by email and however else they can is uh, is amazing. So uh, it's a great team. It is a great team, and it must be enormously uh, rewarding to be part of that. Uh, the, that team in particular and a lot of the folks on it, including my boss, are why I joined uh, the company. Ultimately, yeah. um, I think if, if, if it wasn't for knowing and having interacted with such an excellent group of people, um, 
you know, I might I might not have taken that step. And so I think that's a reflection, and your story is a reflection of an ethos that they put forth that community itself leads to, you know, more Warhammer more often. It leads to uh, people building communities, connecting to others, wanting to share the hobby and getting more passionate about it. And instead of focusing on, you know, necessarily the bottom line, they're focused on, look, the more people that love Warhammer, the better, and the best way to do that is to share the parts of the hobby that make it good, which is, you know, the ability to engage in this, these amazing worlds and play this amazing hobby and paint these amazing miniatures and do it all within the framework of an incredible community of global uh, players and hobbyists. Listen, it's been really nice to chat with you. I know that you you have a lot of demands on your time, particularly with, uh, I'm, I think I'm chewing up your Sunday afternoon with your family. So thanks, thanks so much for taking the time. I do appreciate it. And it's uh, it's been fascinating to find out how it all began and, and now and now where you are. Is it is it cool that you work for G-Dub, having been a fan it, of the game for so long? I have to pinch myself sometimes um, because, and I'll leave you with this last vignette, it is a very real thing um, that, You'll be in a meeting, and the meeting will start with a talk about, you know, let's let's review where we're at with the UX for a future, um, you know, exciting piece of technology. And it's very similar to some of the work that I've done before, and it's fine. Um, and there's, you know, battles over, you know, just design decisions and other things. And then all of a sudden you find yourself actually in a serious debate about the merits of how the IP of Sisters of Battle are being reflected in a component of UX design and whether or not Sisters would really be that way. And you kind of go, yeah. <laughs> I'm having a, a business debate. It's a serious business debate. But we're talking about like Adeptus Sororitas or about <laughs> you know Sigmaroid Eternals. You know, it's it's really yeah, really yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and it's fun. I I uh, recommend it to anyone having now done it and been doing it for almost a year, which I also have to pinch myself about. So. Yeah, almost a year, and what a year. Uh, mm -hmm. Mike Brandt, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. All the best for whatever comes next. Steve, I can't wait to see you out there in the world once we can all get together again. Same, same, same. Thanks, Mike. Cheers. My sincere thanks to Mike Brandt for the chat. He had to go quite a long way out of his way to make that interview happen. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. And listen, I really hope you've enjoyed Season 1 of 40K Game Changers. If you haven't already heard the other episodes in the series, well, they're all available on YouTube and at 40kgamechangers.com. I'm working on Season 2 now and already have some of the biggest names and best stories in 40K lined up to be a part of it. I hope you can join us for that when it comes. Until next time, happy hobbying. I'm Steve Joel. Thanks so much for listening. This has been... 40k game changes.